0: This is The Planning Podcast and I'm Richard Kimblin, introducing you to Adette Chalabi, Barrister, Specialist in Planning and Environmental Law at Number 5 Chambers, who's been looking at three cases on the topic of project and where the question of where your project starts and stops. It's a recurring problem. Uh, it really comes about from the definition of an EIA scope. It's a question which affects you whether you're An infrastructure developer such as a statutory undertaker whether you're the provider of such infrastructure in any way at all or indeed whether you're somebody who's taking advantage of infrastructure because you might be connecting into it to what extent do those connections form part of some other project there have been three recent cases which illustrate problems and provide some pretty strong guidance as to what needs to be done and what doesn't need to be done in order to arrive at a lawful conclusion and a lawful conclusion is, of course, what we all seek. So Adette's going to help us with that. Without any more, let's get on with it. Adette, hello, good afternoon. How are you?
1: Good, thank you. Good afternoon, Richard.
0: Let's get going on this question of project, because it seems as though the courts have been bothered by it repeatedly over the course of the last few months in three cases. What is it about Project that we're interested in here what, what are we why are we bothered by the word project
1: well it's been in a few cases in the last few months but it's a bit of a longer running question isn't it in terms of eia what is the project but the court's very keen to avoid developers slicing up development to avoid having to do an eia and that sort of salami slicing question has been going on for years and that's the real question. What is the project for the purpose of the assessment? And in the cases we, we're going to look at today in particular, does associated utility infrastructure form part of the project?
0: OK, there does seem to be a, an infrastructure utilities theme going on here. What are the three cases that we're going to have a look at?
1: The three we're going to have a look at The first is Ashchurch Rural Parish Council in Chooksbury from earlier this year. And I think this is probably... The most well-known one of all of them. It's the Bridge to Nowhere case. The the second one is the Sizewell judicial review about the nuclear station, and and the last one, one you are involved in, Richard Landaff from Cardiff.
0: And that's the case involving a piece of infrastructure concerned with wastewater, a sewage.
1: With sewage, and and the Sizewell one was to do with potable water for drinking, I presume, if it's called potable water, but that's what they refer to it as in the judgment, anyway not the cooling water, the nuclear station.
0: So Bridge to Nowhere, well known. Give us the outline facts on Bridge to Nowhere.
1: So it was, as I said, against Tewkesbury Borough Council. And essentially, Tewkesbury had produced a master plan for potential development of up to just over 10,000 homes. And that was going to be delivered in phases. But phase one required as an essential prerequisite a bridge over the main rail line. And it was common ground between everyone that the only purpose of the bridge was to facilitate that housing development. For some reason, well, for a particular reason, permission was sought for the bridge on its own. And that particular reason was that there was funding immediately available from Homes England for the bridge and permission was granted. And locally, it's known as the Bridge to Nowhere Because once it's constructed, I don't think it's actually been constructed yet, there'll be no connecting roads on either side, just a bridge in the middle of a field until the phase one area is unlocked. Those are the facts. So it's quite an unusual situation in that case.
0: It certainly is. And I suspect that was, to a degree, important in the outcome, because this is one of the cases in which the claimant succeeded and the decision was quashed. What went on there? Why was it legally defective?
1: So in all the decision documents, there was no discussion of whether the bridge was part of a wider project. It was just treated entirely in isolation. And that included in terms of the EIA screening. So there wasn't a need for an EIA because the bridge was essentially dealt with by itself. Would it have a significant effect on the environment? And in fact, the challenge to that point was dismissed in the High Court. And this case was in the Court of Appeal. And the ground we're interested in was Ground 3. And it was said that the judge erred in his analysis of whether the Borough Council unlawfully considered that the project was just the bridge in isolation. And it's of note that the Court of Appeal doesn't actually say that the project was the whole thing together. It just says that it wasn't dealt with properly because no one really thought about it. And the Court of Appeal agreed with the claimant that the Borough Council applied the incorrect legal test and that it was an error to essentially just assume it was a project by itself, particularly given that the bridge had no purpose of its own. It was a case where that had to be at least considered.
0: So what approach did the Court of Appeal urge in respect of this question of project? What should decision makers be doing and what should applicants be doing to help decision makers?
1: Well, it had been particularly concerned that the Borough Council had not referred to any of the case law on this topic that we discussed earlier has been rumbling on for a while and particularly to the the question of whether the bridge was functionally interdependent or an integral part of the wider Master Plan. And and that's something that the Court of Appeal said had to be considered. And what the Court of Appeal did in respect of the previous case law is it went to a particular case which is Wingfield and Canterbury City Council from 2020. And what that case did is it established two things. First, that the question of what the project is in any particular case is a matter of judgment for the decision maker. And that's important for the next case as well. But the second point is that the judge indicated a series of factors which may be taken into account in determining the extent of the project. And these factors, again, have been picked up in a number of other cases and they were approved in Tewkesbury. The four in particular are first, whether there's common ownership of of the two sites you're talking about that might indicate that they're single projects rather than separate projects. The second, um, whether the determinations are simultaneous or not. So if it's the same day, the same committee, reports that cross-refer to each other, again, that probably indicates it's a single project. The third one, and, and this one turns out to be quite important in the later cases, is functional interdependence. So whether one part of the development could not function without the other. And if so, again, that indicates it's a single project. And then the final factor is a standalone project where a development is justified on its merits and would be pursued independently. So that's a bit of a counterpart to the functional interdependence one that indicates they're different projects. So those are the sort of wing field factors. And they're not it's not a closed list. It's not an exhaustive list, but they're things that should be taken into account in, in many cases.
0: So in the case of wingfield, those are the things which may go in. And the Court of Appeals said, yeah, that's right.
1: And they just weren't considered at all.
0: So I suppose the applicant would do well to explain why it's not all one project by reference to those at least. Yeah. Mm. OK. Is there another case we should think about?
1: Well, I think there's two others. The first we were going to talk about is the Sizewell case. So together against Sizewell C and the Secretary of State from June of this year. You have to talk about that one first.
0: Let's do task together against Sizewell C.
1: So, that was a challenge under the Planning Acts against the decision of the Secretary of State to make a DCO for a nuclear power station. And there was a big issue, which was at the time of the examination, the developer, the generation company, couldn't identify a permanent supply of potable water. And the reason for that was essentially the choice of supply was yet to be decided by the water undertaker. And the supply would actually be determined later as part of the preparation of a water resources management plan under the Water Industry Act for 2025 to 2050. So essentially, the decision hadn't been made what the supply would be yet. Interestingly, the power station couldn't actually be licensed to operate by the ONR, the Office for Nuclear Regulation, without that water supply. So it wasn't going to go ahead without adequate water. But the panel, the examining panel, thought that because water supply had not been identified, it wasn't, able to properly assess the cumulative environmental effects and so it couldn't recommend approval so that that was what the panel said the, the panel found if indeed the water supply wasn't there it would have recommended approval and after the panel's report the secretary of state wanted to dive into this water issue a bit more and and wrote to all the parties again and what the undertaker said again was that it couldn't meet the project's long term demand from its existing resources and it was looking at a number of options for new supply, but it just hadn't decided yet. And it made the point that water companies are under a duty under the Water Industry Act to identify new water resources to meet demand. So they, they have that duty, they've got to do it. And in fact, there would be a need for them to make new supplies even without well C, because there was growing demands in the area. And that water resource management plan going into the future would require SEA and HRA. So it wouldn't be something That was not subject to any sort of cumulative assessment in itself so that's what that's what the water company and the developer said and essentially the secretary of state agreed that that was adequate for the purposes of the environmental assessment it was actually a habitats regulation assessment point but the same case law as under the eia applies and everyone agreed that and the secretary of state was content that any cumulative effects would be addressed subsequently that the long-term water supply was a separate consideration. It could change during the lifetime of the scheme. It was governed by another regime. And as we all know, planning decisions should assume other regimes will be properly applied. So the, the DCO was granted despite the examining panel's recommendation.
0: Which then led to a challenge and the project question came up and it came before the planning court and the planning liaison judge, Mr Justice Holgate, who referred to the case law that we've already touched upon and then took it a little bit further i'd i'd say certainly there's quite a lot of discussion of the point what are the main points that came out of that
1: so the claimant submitted that without the water the project was essentially incomplete and could not function so back to that functional interdependence question which i think is is a big one in all of these cases beyond the questions of sort of ownership and the time of decision it seems a bit more fundamental and Mr. Justice Holgate disagreed. He emphasised again the points in Wingfield, the factors that are relevant, that it's a matter of judgment for the decision maker. An important point he made, a number of them, first was that while there might be cumulative effects from two sets of works that interact with each other, that does not mean they're the same project. And there are provisions in the EIA regs to consider cumulative effects, and you, you do have to do that under paragraph five of schedule four. So you have to include in your analysis of likely significant effects on the environment, cumulative effects with any other existing and or approved projects. So so he made that point that just because there's a link between them, that doesn't mean they have to be considered the same project. He also was concerned, I think, about the, the wider implications Of the point because as in another case we're about to talk about in a minute the question here was about utility infrastructure and water companies are under obligations to provide the water requested and there would be wider implications if that always had to become part of the project considered in any planning application and Mr Justice Holgate was very concerned that that would lead to sclerosis in the planning system.
0: So delay which is not really justifiable having regard to the obligations and the duties which are there on the undertakers in any event.
1: Yes, and governed by a wholly different piece of legislation with its own particularities, as you know well, Richard.
0: (laughs) Um, Okay. anything else on task? Because I think we can probably pick up rather similar points by reference to a different sort of undertaker, um, uh, a wastewater undertaker in the form of the, the Landaff case, in which and Welsh Water were involved in in a challenge which arose from a residential development.
1: Yes, I think I think we probably can. So this was another one where there was an allocation in Cardiff's local development plan for a mixed use development, but a minimum of five thousand homes. And before that had been adopted, there had been a long period of consultation, including with Welsh Water as the statutory undertaker. And they were responsible in this case for many things, but in particular for providing a sewerage system, again, under the Water Industry Act. They have a general duty under Section 94 to provide a sewerage system and a number of more specific duties as well. The developer secured outline consent and the application was accompanied by an environmental statement which said, The undertaker had confirmed that the significant foul sewage that would inevitably be generated could be accommodated on its network, but it wanted a condition requiring a hydraulic modelling assessment before the extent of the infrastructure improvements and stormwater removals could be finalised. So that was the undertaker's position and the outline consent was secured. And then some years later, the council granted Welsh Water permission to build a pumping station to serve this particular proposal about one kilometre away. And interestingly, the application was accompanied by a planning statement from the consultants which stated that the need for the proposed development, so for the pumping station, derived from the grant of permission for the 6,000 homes. And essentially what the consultants were saying were that they were one and the same project. In fact, they stated it was effectively part of the housing development because that much capacity was necessary to serve the increase in the local population size. And the council disagreed. They issued a negative screening opinion and they said the sewage system and the residential development were standalone projects for EIA purposes. And then the local residents challenged that in the High Court.
0: Of course, we recall that this question is a question of judgment. It's not a question of pure law. Was the council's judgment sufficient and lawful?
1: Well, according to the judge, it was. He was happy with the approach that was undertaken. In a few short paragraphs, I will say, he didn't get into the kind of detail that Mr Justice Holgate did in Sizewell. But essentially, the screening opinion and The officers report following off of that said that they were two separate projects and there were three particular reasons given the first was that the two schemes would not be located on adjacent land the second was that they were being undertaken by different parties so this sort of different ownership question one by the undertaker one by the developer and then the third point this functional interdependence one again which was probably the key one here So the pumping station was being undertaken not only to serve the housing development, but also other existing and potential developments in the area. So there was a functional relationship, but not sort of pure functional interdependence. They could function without, well, the the pumping station could function without the housing scheme. Uh, And the claimants disagreed. They said that the housing development and the pumping station were dependent on one another. However else the pumping station might have been funded And they said the fact that the pumping station may serve other developments is immaterial. But the judge was not convinced by that. And and essentially, the conclusion he reached was that the fact the pumping stations needed for the housing development does not mean it will not also serve other existing and potential developments. And the officer and the authority were entitled to have regard to those matters in their judgment about functional interdependence. And there was no irrationality in their conclusions. And that's essentially where, where the case ended up.
0: So that's that's terrific to have had three examples, somewhat different facts between the three, different outcomes as between the three of them. What do we take away? Let's see if we can do a takeaway each. What would you take away?
1: The takeaway really is that this is a matter of judgment. And the thing to do is make sure it's considered at the outset rather than just left aside or, or brushed under the rug. As long as the decision maker and the applicant sort of go through the relevant factors and come to a proper conclusion, it's going to be hard to, to challenge that later on.
0: You've got my takeaways all wrapped up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I stole them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. You're a star. Thank you ever so much, Adette. Till the next time. Bye. That was the planning podcast from Number Five Chambers. Next, we're going to turn to South Oxfordshire an appeal decision there in which the Secretary of State grappled with land supply and the impact of a neighbourhood plan. Until then, goodbye.